This podcast is sponsored by our partner, QXMD. QXMD builds mobile solutions that drive evidence-based medicine in clinical practice. Check out READ for easy access to research personalized for you. And CALCULATE for over 500 easy-to-use decision support tools. Try them today at qxmd.com apps. Again, that is qxmd.com apps. Welcome. You're listening to Back Talk Doc, where you'll find answers to some of the most common questions about back pain and spine health. Brought to you by Carolina Neurosurgery and Spine Associates, where providing personalized, highly skilled, and compassionate spine care has been our specialty for over 75 years. And now, it's time to understand the cause of back pain and learn about options to get you back on track. Here's your Back Talk Doc, Dr. Sanjeev Lakya. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Back Talk Doc. As you know, I am Sanjeev Lakia, and I'm a board-certified physiatrist, and I work at Carolina Neurosurgery and Spine Associates with offices in Charlotte and Rock Hill and Valentine, just a greater Charlotte area. My office is in Rock Hill, where I work five days a week, and we've been pumping out some episodes for you all, and my goal is really to provide you with the most comprehensive source of information on the topic of spine and back care, back pain, so you can make informed and educated decisions. Today, I uh, welcome a guest to the show, Mike Nido, who is a, a physician assistant with Carolina Neurosurgery and Spine Associates, and he's he is kind of the lead PA for our entire group and has an extensive clinical history with the group. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you. And what I wanted to do today is I wanted to talk with our listeners really about the concept of how providing spine care, it really takes a team. And it's not just your doctor. We've had physical therapists on the show. I've talked to local chiropractors on the show. And when you hurt your back and you come to a clinic such as ours, there's going to be multiple touch points from a clinical side. And the mid-level provider or the advanced practice practitioners, physician assistants, they're an integral part of the team. And you know, to be frank, Mike, there's a lot of confusion about them, so I'm happy that you're able to come on the show today. But before we get into that topic, for those who don't know you and some of the work you've done over the last many years with the group, give us a little background about your training and your specialty interests and your career with the group. Well, I graduated from PA school in 1981. Just for the sake of your listeners, just to give a little history of the PA profession, it began sometime around the middle 1960s when there was projected to be a shortage of doctors. A physician at Duke University had the bright idea of training medical corpsmen that were coming back from Vietnam. These guys were informally trained, but they were practically doing everything out in the field because there weren't doctors on the front lines. So these guys had extensive experience, but when they came back stateside, they didn't have the formal degree to put anything into practice. So he uh, thought that maybe we could give these guys some formal training and put them to work doing some of the common routine things that doctors do to free up physicians to do the more complicated things that they've been trained to do. The uh, first group, PA class from uh, Duke University, graduated in sometime in the middle 60s, and there were four Navy corpsmen. The profession kind of grew from there. A lot of the early PAs were informally trained. They took orderlies from the hospital and and x-ray techs and people like that, and the doctor would take them under their wing and kind of train them informally. They would 
served sort of like an apprenticeship. And the idea kind of caught on and several schools started opening up. And now there's, I don't even know how many schools. When I first came to North Carolina, there were only five programs in the state. And now there's, I believe, 11 or 12. Okay. And Neil, forgive us, we're in the, the time of COVID, are breaking up a little bit with our audio. So thanks for hanging in there with us. Mike, how long have you been with uh, Carolina Neurosurgeon and Spine Associates? 24 years. Across that spectrum of time, what types of patient populations have you served? I had the privilege of working with Dr. Michael Hefner, who was one of our pediatric neurosurgeons. So his practice was about 60% pediatrics. So I had the privilege of treating anywhere from neonates up to 90-year-olds. We took care of the whole pediatric population, plus we did some spine surgery and things like that in patients well into their 80s and 90s. So you've kind of seen it all. For those that are out there and they're just not familiar with PAs, can you give us kind of a, maybe a description of what a PA does on a day-to-day basis? Just a broad overview of the clinicians that provide clinical support to physicians. Well, we have a whole team of PAs. We have several PAs that, like myself, who provide office-only outpatient care. We see the whole gamut from new patients coming in for screening with new problems to all the way to follow-ups, post-operative follow-ups, and things like that. We also have a large team of PAs that provide inpatient and outpatient care. They do everything from admitting patients to the hospital, doing daily rounds, ordering tests, following upon tests, assisting in surgery, providing all the post-operative care. They also see consults from the trauma surface, from the emergency room. So they provide the whole gamut of care. What is currently the training to become a physician assistant? Most of the programs are anywhere from two to three years, and the vast majority of them now are master's degree programs. So to clarify, that would mean undergraduate education and then postgraduate education? Correct. And in addition to that, most programs now require at least 2,000 hours of hands-on patient care experience prior to entering a PA program. Folks, that's a lot. So when you come to the office and you see a physician assistant, they have extensive clinical training that Mike just outlined. Where do you see currently kind of the role of PA in our clinic? I think the major function that we provide, I think we function a lot as a gatekeeper. Personally, I see a lot of new patients. Because of my level of experience, I can see most any type of patient that we see here. You know, if they're new to our practice and haven't been adequately worked out for whatever their neurosurgical problem is, I can do an evaluation, order the appropriate studies, and refer them on to the appropriate physician in the group. Yeah, so I think that's a, a huge advantage working at a practice where we can offer the community a large number of excellently trained physician assistants, mid level providers. It's a way to kind of get yourself evaluate it in a quicker manner, get your foot in the door. And we have uh, clinicians like Mike who do a tremendous job. They take a full history and physical exam, and they can really get the ball rolling on your workup and your treatment. One question I get, Mike, often from patients is kind of what's the difference between a PA and a NP or a certified nurse practitioner? Well, if you walked into our office, you would not, probably would not be able to tell the difference. But basically, PAs are trained in a medical model. Our training pretty much mirrors medical school. It's just shorter. And nurse practitioners are trained by nurses. So they're trained in more of a nursing model. And are there scope of practice differences? They are very similar. 
when nurse practitioners join our group, and we have several, the training that we provide, they pretty much do the same thing. Like I said, if you walk into our practice, you'd have a hard time differentiating who was what, other than for the name tag. Talk about the role of the PA in the hospital setting. Well, all of our PAs are paired up with a physician so that they follow that physician through his entire practice or her entire practice. That goes all the way from admitting to the patients to the hospital, ordering the proper studies, assisting with surgery, and providing the outpatient care, providing the postoperative care in the hospital and also the postoperative care outside of the hospital. And so it's extremely comprehensive. And what's nice about that model is that's continuity of care. It's really amazing for someone to start in the hospital setting, let's say even emergently, and end up seeing the same clinician when they do a follow-up eval, whether several weeks later, who understands everything that that patient has been through. Would you agree, Mike? That's pretty fascinating uh, value add, I think, to the clinical care that we can offer. That's a huge part of what we offer because there's a lot of things that go on in the hospital that are not very apparent just by reading the chart. That PA knows intimately the hospitalization and everything that went on, and that really helps in providing the uh, postoperative care. Plus, it's comforting for patients to come to an office, especially if their first stop with us is in the hospital. It's kind of a friendly thing for them to come to our office and, and see a familiar face. Oh, that's great. In fact, I know the PAs and nurse practitioners that are in my office in Rock Hill, a lot of the times the patients, they just want to see them. They don't really need to see the physician. They don't really, sometimes they don't even want to just because such a high level of care that's being provided. They get very, very comfortable working with you and your team. Well, most importantly, they know, and we make it very clear to them that even though I'm here providing your care, the doctor that's standing behind me is very aware of what's going on and very involved in, in all of the decisions that are made. So I'm glad you said that. That's a good point of clarification because I think one of the knocks so to speak, from the community, and you've heard it is, I don't want to see the PA, I want to see the physician. And what you just kind of outlined here that people just may not be aware of is how much communication goes on somewhat behind the scenes. So give the listeners a few examples. Let's say someone comes in, you know, they strained their back last weekend, they call the office, they get put on your schedule, they're a little nervous that you're not a physician. Explain to them the process that goes on behind the scenes to ensure that they're getting the care they deserve? Well, for one thing, I've worked with these doctors or any of our PAs, you know, they work with a doctor. We make it clear that, you know, that PA has been with that doctor for a long time and they stand side by side all day, every day of the work week. When I worked with Dr. Hefker, my wife used to call him my other wife. She thought I knew him better than I knew her. We just learned how they think and how they react to certain situations and what decisions they make in certain situations. And if there's anything out of the ordinary, we always go to our attending physician and say, even if I've made a decision, I will often, without talking to the physician, I will also back that up with going to the physician saying, hey, I did this. Are you okay with this? Yeah. And one thing I think that you guys do that is extremely important is you co-review films and images. Yes, we do. Because I know patients really want to know what their MRI showed. And when they come in to see a physician assistant, sometimes they're a little bit unsure about did that get addressed or not. So you look at any film, first of all, you're already competently trained on interpreting films just over the duration of your career. 
But any film I'm sure that you encounter that has any questionable findings, you're running that by your supervising physician, correct? Well, we run it by a supervising physician, and also just about every one of them is read by a board-certified radiologist. So we sort of have a double safety net. Exactly. So that's I think that should hopefully put some people's mind at ease. When you work with physicians side-by-side in the office, talk about the team concept versus, in some practices, the physician assistant has literally, you know, they're kind of on their own and they work almost as a solo practitioner. So talk about the benefits of the model that we have here. You know, we may be alone physically, but we're never, never really alone, especially in this day and age, the technology that we have available to us. You know, we have phones, we have, our records are electronic. So I can always call my physician and have him look at film. If I've got a question about a CT scan or any kind of an imaging study, we can be looking at it simultaneously. Before we had this available to us 15 years ago, we had to rely on, if I was in the hospital, the physician was at home, he had to rely on me to be able to tell him exactly what I was seeing on a scan. You've covered a lot. My goal today was to bring you on the show and not, not so much as get into like clinical treatment protocols for back pain, but really educate listeners on the team-based approach. To me, they really add to the care and Oftentimes, the biggest hurdle for care is just getting seen. And many times you can get in with a physician's mid-level within a week or two versus a month or two. And that's exactly what we push. When a new patient calls in and wants to see Dr. Smith and told that, well, you can't see him for another six weeks, but you can see his PA in, in a week or two. The important thing for our patient to understand is that it's not a, you're not getting second-class care. You're not, you know, you're not going to the B team. This is your way of getting your foot in the door, getting your care initiated in such a way that by the time you see the physician, all the important stuff has been completed and ready for his review. Exactly. I couldn't summarize it better myself. All right, Mike, I know it's late and I you know, kind of caught you on a last minute notice. Before I let you go, I'd love for you to share a little bit. What's kind of on your Kindle? What are you listening to? Help us understand something a little more personal about that you enjoy, maybe with personal growth or with health and fitness? Well, I have three daughters and uh, three grandkids and one and another grandchild on the way. So that occupies a lot of my a lot of my off time. I listen to a lot of music. I try to read. I read a lot of different things. I listen to all kinds of music other than country. Dabble in woodworking on the side. Fortunately, I've been able to keep all my fingers intact and a little bit of photography. Between your family and, and the hobbies and the work, you've got a well-rounded life, and I'm sure it keeps you busy. Once again, thank you for taking time today. I think this was very informative. I might add, I, I always like to brag about this. One of my three daughters is a PA, and I didn't push it, and she's very happy with her. Oh, there you go. Place. Well, you've done an amazing job for our group and for our patients. Certainly, you're, you're one of the go-to people in the group for a lot of reasons, and I appreciate you taking the time today. And I appreciate you having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Back Talk Doc, brought to you by Carolina Neurosurgery and Spine Associates, with offices in North and South Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. Lockia and treatment options for back issues, go to backtalkdoc.com. We look forward to having you join us for more insights about back pain and spine health on the next episode of Back Talk Doc. Additional information is also available at carolinaneurosurgery.com.